1: The United States Border Patrol has exciting and rewarding career opportunities with the nation's largest law enforcement
0: organization. Earn great pay, outstanding federal benefits, and up to $20,000 in recruitment
2: incentives. Learn more online at cbp.gov slash career usbp.
1: Welcome into The Verge, a show
2: which covers the Baltimore Orioles minor leagues. The Verge is part of BSL Radio. Baltimore Sports and Life is dedicated to analysis and discussion on the Orioles, Baltimore Ravens, and the University of Maryland. The site has a team of writers providing coverage of those teams and houses live streaming content weekly. Join the conversations at the message board, like BSL on Facebook, and follow BSL on Twitter.
0: And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. Ever since we discovered Spotify for Podcasters, we feel like having options like video podcasts and Q&A lets us be more creative on another level. I highly recommend you give it a try. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com podcasters to get started.
1: Welcome to On the Birds. This is Zach Spedden joined as always by Bob Thelon and Nick Stevens. And on tonight's episode, we're going to get into the dominance of Grayson Rodriguez at AAA Norfolk and his most recent start, the professional debut of Carter Baumler, the major league debut of Cody Sedlock, injury news surrounding Demiah Jones, and much more. But first, we're going to talk MLB Draft with tonight's guest. He is a writer of Prospects Live. He is uh, Will Hafer. Will, how are you?
2: I'm doing good. Thank you for having me on here.
1: We're glad to have you here. And I'll start with this question. It looks like it's probably a five-player field uh, of contenders for that first overall pick. Would you agree with that? And if so, who do you think is in that mix?
2: Um, I mean, I'm looking at our board right now. Um, I'd say it's probably about four or five players. Um, maybe four. Like, like I, I can't see more than five. You know, it's Drew. Mm-hmm. Has obviously been at the top of the list, um, pretty much you know since the start of the spring. Um, and Jackson Holiday has kind of played his way up boards, uh, shortstop out in, out in Oklahoma. You know, can't get better bloodlines than than being the son of Matt Holiday. So, um, uh, and, and then you get Tamar out there, out here in Georgia. I've seen him a ton, as well as Drew. Um, Elijah Green down in Florida really actually has kind of been a bit mercurial. but Has worked his way I think back into that one-one conversation uh, by cutting down the strikeouts this spring. Uh, just you know, incredibly toolsy. And then Brooks Lee I think has kind of been a feature at the top of the board as as one of the top college players um, taken. Um, there's some other college bats that that, that I think are interesting, um, but. Brooks is probably the best fit for the Orioles, considering his contemporary at the top of the board, Kevin Prada. Even if you don't think he's six at catcher, it's not the greatest fit in Baltimore with Adley behind the play, Ryan Mountcastle at first, Trey me at first. It, it, it's just kind of a – in that catcher first base, you know, um, medley, it, it's not the best fit there. So, yeah, four to five, That it, it'd be Drew um, – Brooks, Elijah, Jackson, Holiday, and Tamar Jacks, Tamar Johnson. Sorry, that yeah, that's probably the five I, I would take. And I'm assuming that's probably closely aligned to the five-year hearing as well.
3: Yeah, that's what we kind of assumed as well. And um, it's kind of hard to believe that the is still six weeks away. It feels like it should be getting close. I'm not sure how, if I like this uh, later draft. How do you feel about that?
2: Um, I mean. It, it, I mean, it does. It gives me a little bit more time to put out my reports this uh, this June, uh, so I appreciate that. But yeah. I, I'm generally with you. I, I would like to think that in June I can move on to start looking at 2023s, and that's mostly what I'm going to be doing. But it it's it it it, it clogs up so many things. Um, I know, for instance, I don't know how well publicized this is, but starting tomorrow on the Sun Belt League. Um, Tamar Johnson, R.J. Austin, um, Christian Jackson—just um, a bunch of like high-end preps in Georgia are going to be playing for the Atlanta Blues in the Sunbelt League, and it's just something that really hasn't occurred before in in that league. And it's really almost entirely credited to the draft being, you know, pushed back into mid July. Um, they saw an opportunity to to get into a wood bat league where they can you know, go out there, play, get some data, um, for teams. Um, from what conversations about it, it's the decision-making process isn't going to be that shifted one way or the other. I mean, they, we, they're going to have area guys been on, you know, these, these players for two, three years now. Um, and certainly for, for the past 12 months, pretty hard. Um, but it 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 does clog up things. It, it, and the collegiate summer league level is the is the most noteworthy example, particularly with um with with 2022 players. Um you know, this is kind of a unique example, but the more broader example that we saw last year that's playing out this year as well, is that there's gonna be a ton of these summer leagues with 2022 eligible college players that are that are really going to kind of dominate the first half of that of that summer. And the second half is when you're going to see the 2023s kind of um, really take back the lion's share of the playing time, what they used to have had, you know, prior to the drafting move back about a month. So um, that, those are just kind of some of the ways that this this drafting move back and 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 it is really stretching scouts then as well, um, you know, going out, you know, there there'll be a ton of you know guys from. From, from the area where I'm at and I know they're going to be going out to like the Appalachian league to be going out to the coastal plains league. So all these, you know, lower all the summer leagues, just to see some of these 2022s that could pop up and, and really, you know, show something. And it kind of takes, you know, there's only so much time in the day and there's only so much, so many places you can be. And that's taking time away from, you know, summer showcase circuit, um, uh, Private workouts, just other other things that that they could be doing. So I, those are kind of the effects that that that, I've, that I think we've seen in the past year or so, um, and in this upcoming year with the drafting moved uh, back to mid July.
3: Yeah, that all makes a lot of sense. And it seems like Drew Jones has started to separate himself a bit as the the top talent, at least based on the list that we've been reading in the reports. Um, what are some of his strengths and weaknesses, just for the uninitiated?
2: Well, I mean, the strengths <laughs> are almost about everything. Um, it's one of the top prep guys um, to come across the the pike in, in a long, long time. Um, we're talking, you know, speaking of bloodlines, you know, he's the son of the greatest, the the greatest defensive center fielder of all time, in Andrew Jones. Um, I I know in my report it's plus tools almost across the board. Um, you know. Six three one six three one eighty, you know six four one eighty five. Wherever you have him, you know, an incredibly lean, large, projectable body. Um, great bat speed, pitch recognition. Um, supremely confident in the power developing, and it's already being has already been shown off. You know, incredibly high level performer um, over the summers um, against some of the best competition that he could face at that at any given time. Um, you know, I double plus arm, you know, double plus speed right now that are to get down to, you know, plus speed, you know, plus hit plus power. It's, it's all there. Um, it, the, the the simple way to put it is it's hard to think of, it, you have to really work hard to to put down the weaknesses on a report for Drew. Um, and that that's what you expect to see out of a one, like a, bonafide 1-1 like him um with that said you know given the way the draft works um it's it's a money game it's not necessarily about taking the best player available at any given time um it would be a lot simpler if it were like that like like possibly you know the the nfl drafts um but there's a certain select amount of pool money and if the orioles think that they can take somebody other than Drew at one-one, save some money and push it back into getting higher end talent with their second, third, fourth, fifth round picks where at what have you. Um, that's certainly not unprecedented for the Michael Lyas regime. And that's why you're seeing those four to five names there. But if, you know, I it it'd be hard for me to to take a list seriously where we're ranking everybody on their future potential in this draft and not having Drew one one.
0: Love that uh, because he's my favorite so far up to this point. And I think I've said before that, honestly, without having watched him play uh, live at this point, it's really just because of his dad. And I'm glad you said he's the greatest uh, defensive center fielder of all time there. Um, But you kind of segue into that with the Michael Ice regime, their previous strategies. uh, The fact that the top of the draft is those first few rounds, it's a money game as well. What should we make of the speculation that Brooks Lee is the possible one-one choice if the Orioles decide to save a little bit of money with that one-one pick? And you know, has he really separated himself from other college bats this spring, or is it just the case of him not being that Jacob Berry first base DH, you know, defensive question type, or the Kevin Parada being a catcher sliding a position where the Orioles, like you mentioned at the start, don't need help any anytime soon with Adley and Mancini and Mountcastle
2: in the pitcher? Um, I think it's just kind of um, an, an overwhelming bludgeoning of performance and pedigree with Brooks. Um, this was a kid that was, you know, a first round talent coming out of high school, chose to go play at Cal Poly with his dad. as, a, as a, I think his dad's the head coach. If I remember correctly. <laughs> it seems like one of those things I should remember. Um, but he, when, you know, his, Performed everywhere he's been since getting on campus, both in the spring and the summer. Had a really, really good um, Cape and um, U.S. national team run over the 2021 summer. Um, I would say in Brooks' case, um, it is mostly built around fit relative to, say, like a Kevin Parada or even like a Daniel Susack. Um but that's not a knock against him at all. He would be, you know, more than worthy of that kind of one, one underslot pick that we saw last year with Henry Davis or, or like a one, two that we saw with Heston, uh, Kerstad, um, the Orioles, this is definitely a top end college talent and somebody that's go, that should really be off the board fairly quickly, whether it's with the Orioles or someone else. Um, is we have some other guys that are that we find comparable to him, but specifically with the Orioles, it's mainly the fact that they have they took you know the bona fide you know start to end you know one one to end all one ones in 2020 with Adley. I mean 20.
3: I my 2019, 2019.
2: <laughs> I get the years confused. I knew that was wrong, but <laughs> yeah, yeah.
3: 2019,
2: they took the, you know, the, the, the start to finish one, one in all one ones in 2019 at, at with Adley Russian with the explicit understanding that he was their catcher of the future. And a good bit of Kevin Peradas value is tied. I still think to the fact that there can be, you know, you can coax, you know, mm-hmm. Uh, some some catcher traits out of him and and stick him back there for you know maybe you know 70 80 games. So it's just it in in with the like I said, the lot jaw, lot jam at uh at first base, um and really core infield positions as a whole, it's just kind of like Brooks fits that mold and it, again, you know, above average to plus tools across the board, you know, great combination of floor and upside. That those are kind of the the traits that are that are that are really jumping uh, for Brooks in that conversation.
1: There seems to be a consensus among outlets to cover the draft that Tamar Johnson's stock has slipped a bit this spring. and I wanted to get your thoughts on this. There's been some uh, murmurs that it has to do more with his team's performance than it perhaps does with his own, but then others where, Maybe there is a little bit of uh, concerns about where he's going to end up defensively he, if he's stuck at second base. So I'm curious to get your thoughts on that. Uh, how much has his stock slipped if it has at all? And is it more because of outside factors or does it have to do with his, you know, long-term projection? Um, I think his stock
2: slipped a bit going into the spring as, as teams started to really hone in on their reports and, you know, put together you know the pieces you know there's uh not a lot of you know five foot eight five foot nine hundred ninety pound short stops at the major league level it's just not nobody felt very comfortable that the body type would stick it at shortstop, and you know then you're getting into the conversation of how high can you take a high school second baseman um mm-hmm. As, as, it go, as, as far as it goes with scouting him this spring uh, relative to his team, it was just hard to scout him. Um, he, he chose to continue to play for for his high school team, Mays High School, um, which I think I remember talking to, to somebody at the game of, um, at a game when everybody was there to see Termar. And I was like, this is probably the most scouts I've ever been at a game where nobody was committed. And he was like, yeah, that's probably right. It's just he, the rest of his team is it's just, you know, an average, you know, you know, Atlanta, you know, city high school team. It is just not a lot of talent around them. And it led to teams just kind of, you know, not giving him anything to hit. And what kind of jumped out over the course of looks at Tremor was the intangibles, you know, this, you know, he's, head and shoulders the best player on the field almost every time he steps on the field and he's, you know, playing with this team, you know, and they're, they're in there. Sometimes they'll end up, you know, losing 15 to nothing and run ruled in the third or fourth inning, or they're really battling, you know, to, to, to stay in the game or it's against, you know, a lower level team, they're going back and forth and it, it's, you know, it was kind of a stress test on his patience. Um, and, you know, his his makeup and he passed with flying colors every time you go out to see him, you know, incredibly, you know, um, gregarious guy. Um, when he, he steps in the box, always talking to the umpires, um, you know, always the first guy to, 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 to remind his team that there's a game going on. We need to be up. We need to be on the, on the top step. We need to be cheering, you know. Uh, telling guys, you know, on his own team, you know, hey, 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 we're playing in, we're playing in. It's just there was a a lot of, you know, check boxes. Um, There there were a lot of boxes that were checked off in in the makeup department just watching him on that team. And it was a really unique opportunity relative to his peers. Um, I know for comparison's sake, Drew, um, you know, at Wesleyan, he's leading off, and behind him – is a Mississippi State commit. Behind him is a Clemson commit. And behind him is a Georgia Tech commit. And there's nobody else committed to anywhere on, on Tremar's team. So it's just it's a completely different environment than than that you don't really see for for most high level you know top 10 preps. Um, so but it made it difficult to scout, you know, just because there weren't that many pitches to hit. Um, you're only getting so many swings. Um, I expect there's probably going to be some guys out there to see him over the next few weeks just because they want – there's probably just some guys that haven't seen him hit the ball hard yet this spring because there hasn't been many opportunities to see him hit. Um, you know, I went, I, went, I went out and saw him, you know, seven, seven or eight times, and every time I was like, I feel like I've seen him enough, but I also haven't seen him enough because he, it's just not the same as going out and seeing, you know – Drew or RJ or, um, or or the Buford kids or just, it's it's a, it's a whole different ball game. Um, But he did slide down a bit um, with the body concerns. I don't think it's really that, you know, too far. This is still, you know, one of the most decorated, you know, prep hitters in terms of performance in a long, long time um, with, you know, pretty crazy grades on, on his hit and power. It, even if it is, you know, second base all the way, we're still talking about, you know, a guy that really shouldn't be falling outside the top 10 with his combination of hit and power and that, you know, offensive four relative to his fellow preps.
3: Sounds good. A lot of good information there. Uh, seems like a guy who had the most helium in the high school ranks, we talked about him a little bit earlier, is Jackson Holiday, son of Matt Holiday. He wasn't mentioned amongst the Elijah Greens, Tamar Johnson, Drew Jones of the world until more recently, but how does he compare to the other high school guys and what do you see as his long-term outlook? Um, I really can't speak too much of it uh, uh, about Jackson.
2: Um, I'm an Atlanta area guy, so I can speak to the Atlanta area guys I've seen. But with conversations I've had, it, it really does seem like, It was one of those things where he was on people's radars. He was definitely like a top follow in that Oklahoma, you know, North Texas, you know, area that 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 he was in. And then as as cross checkers came in to see him, as scouting writers came in to see him, that was when these people with the breadth of knowledge of of having to compare everybody across the country, they're going in to see the best of the best. Said he belongs with you know with with TerMar with Elijah Green even with drew Jones, like the, this he, he is a top 10 guy. And and that's when it kind of all started to click when, when word kept coming in about that. Um, as it stands, you know, great bat to ball skills, strong torque, you know, athleticism and body suggests he's going to stick at shortstop. Um, that's from the left side there's a lot of things working in his favor already. And then, you know, going out there and playing and performing and, you know, showing off what he can do really convinced evaluators up and down the chain that, that he belongs at the top of the top. Love it.
0: One last question about the, these high school kids and Elijah green, we haven't really talked too much about, uh, but you, you referenced earlier that he did seem to cut down on the strikeouts uh, during his high school season this year. Yeah. I know, uh, um, he's still in the mix for one-1 at this point the latest mock draft at prospects live uh, there's a note in there that the Orioles have been heavily scouting him with Tamar and Jones um, but was he able to answer some some of the questions people had about his game this year and overall like did his stock rise or, or fall a little bit with his play this year
2: well I did get to see Elijah once and um, when he came up to Lake Point for, for 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 a tournament and I will walk back something I said earlier about if there's a you know, a, a list based on, you know, draft guys with, you know, the highest of four and ceiling, you know, all mixed together for a future outlook. If Drew's not num- not one one, then I have some questions. Elijah would be the X ex- would be the X factor there. Um an Elijah Green that can even have like a five hit tool, um, is right there with Drew. It's it's one of the most ridiculous tool packages combined with present physicality that really has been in the draft in a long time. Uh, like you have to probably go back to like Justin Upton uh, as, a, as a comparable in terms of, you know, present body physicality and the ability to generate power and speed. Like it's, his, his measurables are insane. Um, but the big question was just, is he going to hit? Um, it, are we going to see marked improvements in that area? And at the beginning of the spring, it didn't really look like that was the case. And I remember we were talking we've and we were just like, this guy's, you know, striking out 30% of the time, you know, in high school, can we even really have him within like the top 15? And that was a, like a serious conversation. It was something we really had to talk over. And we kind of hedged and, and moved him back to like the 10 or 11 range. And, it's almost just like on cue, you know, things started clicking. When I when I went and saw him, everything, his swing, you know, he had shortened stuff up, um, slowing things down. You know, there was still some swing and miss, but it was definitely a marked improvement in, in terms of approach and making sure that, like, he wasn't going to strike out, that <laughs> uh, he wanted to, to make an improvement in that area. And as, like, the season's gone along, I don't know the exact numbers off the top of my head, but uh, you can check on Max, perhaps, what have you. His strikeout rate went down considerably, and now I think it's kind of closer to the 20% range. And with IMG, always kind of like the the caveat there is, you know, what is is an IMG 20% strikeout rate at the high school level comparable to, you know, any other, you know, high school, you know, regardless of division, just because of who they are and, and the kind of, you know, competition they go out and seek to play and the kind of talent they have. So that was the question going in. And so seeing him lower it so much really did reinvigorate, you know, opinion on, on whether or not Elijah was going to actually hit enough, you know, to be, you know, a top, you know, five pick. And as, as the, as there's more confidence growing in that hit tool there's probably going to be more and more heat to the idea that he could be that one, one guy opposed to drew. But I think at the end of the day, like it's all going to come down to money. And if in, in, in particularly money in real and in, in relation to how those two and the, the compare the, their compatriots, Brooks, uh, Jackson, holiday tomorrow are evaluated against each other and what they want. Um, if, you know, Drew wants, you know, gosh, I, I don't even you know the full figures off the top of my head, but, you know, if Drew wants $8 million and Elijah wants seven. you know, how far apart are those two in the Orioles' minds in terms of what their area guys have brought in, what the cross-checkers have seen, what the sky directors have seen, what the data is telling them, mixing that all together. If they think they're comparable and Elijah's, you know, willing to sign for a million, you know, less than, Probably going to be Elijah <laughs> if 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 all the things are, are are close to you know equal or maybe even just a half grade off. Um, so that, that's kind of where I think we are with Elijah right now. Um, I'm like I think we're all still kind of we've we've seen this go on for years and years and we're not completely convinced one way or the other yet. We're not willing to say like this is all water on the bridge now for by any means, but it is definitely encouraging to see that that strikeout rate go down and and adjustments being made over the you know latter half of the spring. So, hopefully, that meandering you know diatribe answered your question there.
1: That's good analysis, and uh, certainly he's been kind of a complex player to look at over the last year or so because we've seen so much variance in opinion on him. I want to pull back though and kind of look at the draft as a whole and not just that one, one pick because the Orioles already have one of the best farm systems in the game and they have the one, one, but they also have five picks within the first 81 and the largest bonus pool in this draft. So looking at that realistically, what can the Orioles expect to accomplish in that, those first five picks or so?
2: I'm um, honestly, it, it- I, I can't give you a solid answer one way or the other. I, I, I you know, I'm not super tapped into to the Orioles or that really many teams. I just kind of go out there and do my thing, but I can give you kind of the standard answer that, that anybody would give you when they find out you have five picks in the first meeting. <laughs> they're going to get a lot of talent. They're going to get a lot of talent. Um, and having that pool money and that flexibility, um, I'm, you know, if you have five picks on the first eighty, and you have the number one pick, I'm almost 100% positive out looking at it, you're going to have the most money to spend in this draft. And like I said, that's where kind of the calculus you know comes in, you know, of you know mixing and matching and 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 getting these these dollar uh, figures for you know so many people within you know the the top 100 picks on our board, you know getting those numbers in seeing, you know, you know, what your evaluations are and just mixing and matching and, and adding together the best overall grouping of talent you can, Um, you know, in, in recent years, I think the Orioles have, have definitely um, had a, had, had a good, you know, idea of what they've wanted to do They'll point well, people will point to the last two years with Kirschdad at, at two and Colton Cowser at five um, as kind of you know haircutting measures to go and get guys like uh, Kobe Mayo in 2020 and Carter, uh, Carter Ballmer last year, 2020, 2020 as well. Yeah, 2020, well, Kobe Mayo and Carter Ballmer. Um, I, I get my my years messed up, but it's definitely you know a defined strategy of. of of this Orioles team in the past two years, but they also didn't have the, the number one overall pick in either of those years. And when you look at this board, it does feel like all things considered, there's a definitive one, one talent to be taken. And the last time the Orioles were in that position, they went with Drew. So the four picks after that are going to depend on where they go with that first one. If they go with Drew, it's probably going to be you know maybe some haircuts, maybe some at slot guys, probably heavy on college for that reason. But if they go with like say you know you know a wild card like Jackson Holiday, who, who might be willing to take you know you know six, six million you know five point five, then that opens up a lot of room to to wait and see you know if you know. I mean, gosh, we've talked about this before, you know, there's a ton of high school pitching in this class and it's starting to look like a lot of them are, are moving down boards. There's, there can be a lot of good high school pitching that that falls down in that 40 and 50 range, where if you have the money, you can get some, you know, good value at at that point. Um, So it's just all, it really is all going to depend, but You, but in but in any situation like this, you'd rather have the most money than the least money, or (laughs) the most money than even the second most money. It's just going to give you so much more flexibility. And no matter what route the Orioles choose to go in, they're going to get a lot of talent out of this draft. That's just kind of the you know it's basic, it's simple, it's not groundbreaking, but that's the truth. (laughs)
3: Sounds good to me. (laughs) Looking past the first round, could you highlight a few guys who you're particularly high on, who you think are likely to slot within the top 50 picks or so?
2: Um, Yeah, yeah. Um, I'll go into more specifics. Like I said, I kind of want to steer away from overall, like what I think teams are going to do, because there's so Mm -hmm. many guys and so many I haven't seen. But I can speak to the people that I have seen. Um, Somebody that's been moving up our boards that that we know kind of – uh, we have a good concept with figures being turned in on Is Jacob Zybin uh, From 10XL Academy I saw him two weeks ago um, One of the youngest pitchers um, In this class One of the youngest players in this class He's going to be 17 and a half years old um, By the time the draft comes around He reclassified from the 2023 He's originally from Langley, British Columbia um, tr- Moved uh Moved down to Florida, enrolled in in 10xL. uh, Really started to catch evaluators' eyes with an uptick in velocity over the winter and and early spring months. Um, Pitched, uh, I think, at um, on the Langley Blaze tour, and there's tons of scouts there. And it's pretty much been the same level of heat that's followed him. Every start he's made down in Florida, and the one I saw in Georgia is just a. You know, everybody was in to see him, you know, talking 30, 40 guys coming in, people flying in, you know, you know, cross checkers, you know, scouting directors, there's definite heat to come in and see this guy. And the reason is, is that he just, he looks like a starter. He's got age on his side. He's got three pitches. He works from a lower slot, fastballs around, you know, 90, 94, touch 95 early on he's got a plus changeup like a legitimate plus changeup and you know a typical you know turn of phrase in the scouting parlance is if you're going to turn in a first round grade on somebody they better have a plus tool and we're not talking run or throw they got to have something plus in their tool belt that's like a difference maker and for and for Jacob Ivan, he has it. it's that changeup it's ball off the table, um, sells the arm well, great differential in terms of vertical movement from the fastball. And he's also got, you know, a good slider that I think can develop into a, into a weapon for him as well. So it's just, it's a three pitch tool set that, that shows a lot of promise. There's a lot of mechanical things um, that, that, that are going to bode well for him metrically. The low release point that he has it's not the, you know, most ideal fastball shape with his two-seam or his four-seam, but it's going to create a flatter vertical approach angle just because he's getting down, you know, we're talking low five-feet release height. It's just going to help him out immensely with that. And releasing from that point allows him to really get side spin on his changeup and sweep on his slider as well. So that was just something that popped up, you know, that, that I got a chance to see recently. Um in the Georgia area, um, if we're talking about guys that are falling into, you know, where give me some, you know, numbers on where the Orioles are picking. Um, I'm assuming they have a, a supplemental round pick.
3: We actually have, let's see, we have the first round pick, obviously, one one, then the first of the second, first of the third, but we also have a pick in both of the comp rounds because we made a trade with the Marlins for uh, Cole saucer and Tanner Scott. So we got their comp pick in return. I'll uh, okay. try pull it up real quick. Sorry. <laughs> the exact specifics.
1: Yeah, I've got it right here. It's, um, picks 81 67, which is the comp B pick that Bob was referring to a moment ago in the Cole saucer trade, the 42nd pick, which is the first pick in the second round. Uh, those are some of the numbers where the Orioles are picking.
2: Yeah, I, I'm 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 actually looking at our board right now, and I'm just going to run through guys that I can speak on. You know, in, in particular ranges. So in kind of that supplemental range, I'll speak on a couple of guys that I that I saw over the summer and the fall of last year. Um, both shortstops, uh, Matt Martin um, from from New Jersey. We have them um, on our most recent board, I think, in 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 that you know these range, um, you know. Ath- you know, toolsy, athletic, really good bat speed, you know, boring on plus um, when I was able to see him out uh, in Jupiter for for uh, for Worlds. Um, up, you know, projects the stick up the middle, um, has, you know, done nothing but, but hit um, in his spring campaign. And it's really just been kind of um, just – His rise has really coincided with, you know, he, you know, playing high school ball in, you know, the, you know, in, in, in the South Jersey, Philadelphia area wasn't, attention really wasn't going to be drawn to him just by, you know, where he was playing. He needed to go out to events and be seen. And he played really well at East Coast Pro, hit incredibly well in Jupiter at WWBA's. And it's just been more and more, you know, high level evaluators have come in, and seen the physical tools and um, the up middle defense and the arm, and it's just been like sold on the fact that this is, you know, a guy we won in our system and think can be a, you know, a you know, a major league shortstop. And counterpart to that on the college ranks, you know, Eric Brown from Coastal Carolina, um, really good Cape. Um, some question marks about if he's got the arm strength to stick at shortstop. Um, I think it's kind of on the fringes, but you, are, you, are, you are out there see him play. He plays, you know, with his hair on fire. You know, he's always looking for outs on defense, and nobody's questioning the hit tool. It's one of the, the strongest hit tools in in the class, um, and really right up there at the top of the college ranks. Um, I think last time I checked, ninety percent contact rate. Um, powers will even starting to come along and and show up more. Um, and like you can lift the ball and take it out, you know, to, to the pull side. And, you know, if you can, if you can, you know, reliably, you know, drive balls to, to the pull side, you don't have to have, you know, you know, you don't have to hit the ball 115 miles per hour. You can keep, if you can, if you can just hit a lot of balls in that, you know, 100, 105 range and you can lift and attack it out in front you will you will generate a lot of power. Um and as such, it's just kind of as the power has kind of started to it was a slow start power wise, but it's come along as the springs gone along. And as such, it's just really kind of reaffirmed him in that comp round range. I know, you know, we had him around there coming out of the summer because he played really well at it for the kettle years. Um, Going down the list, um, Adam Major, right a pitcher for Iowa. We have him kind of in the mid-40s, you know, fastball, slider, um, emerging changeup. Um, had kind of a rough outing um, uh, in terms of stuff, but it was because of back spasms in the tournament. So, he, you know, kid, you know, is going out there grinding at the end of the year. Love to see that, um, you know. Great spin rates, you know, is really, you know, taking a step forward in terms of meshing his stuff um, with getting stronger and improving his command, um, you know, above average to plus on the fastball and, and slider, you know, depending on the day you see him. Um, and a guy I've seen recently, you know, Jonathan Cannon out at George, I've seen him a lot, you know, good four-pitch mix. Um Nothing really jumps out at you as plus, but you know, does nothing but throw strikes, and has really you know developed the cutter that has that has helped him um, get through lineups um, more efficiently, um, and not really have to rely on his fastball, which is kind of you know you know two seam. It's not going to really miss a lot of bats. He's kind of a slurvy breaking ball that can sometimes that's an, a a changeup that you know is is a bit inconsistent, but is really developed this nice, you know, high 80s, low 90s cutter. They can really pound in on left-handed hitters, and it's really, you know, helped him take a, a big step forward and moved him up into, you know, strong second-round consideration. Um, going down the list here, um, more and more, um, <clears throat> gosh, Um a guy that I, that I saw towards the end of the year that, that I actually uh, like a lot is um, Carson Palmquist uh, with Miami. It's not like the, you know, you know it, the stuff's not going to jump off the page at you, but it's a projectable body. He works from a lower slot. He repeats his delivery. He's adapted towards being in a rotation and, you know, has been, you know, the rock that that Miami team has leaned on. They're now in the college, they're now in, you know, Posting a regional this upcoming week Um largely in part To him being the Friday night star and going out There and pitching well pretty much you know every time He's been out there you know low response on the fastballs really You know helps with the shape of that Run um, you know good change Up um Good breaking ball too um Just just kind of A nice you know Middle the back of the rotation profile that, that seems like it's got a good chance of hitting Um so I, I'm just running through as many guys as I can. Um, uh, Spencer Jones as well from, from, from Vandy freak athlete, six, seven, you know, um, runs, you know, a four, one or four, 4.15 down the line from the left-handed batter's box, which you just don't see guys that size do. Um, it has a chance to develop, you know, plus game power. Um, good approach at the plate. You know, has the arm has really kind of taken a step forward over the summer and this spring to reaffirm that he is a position player and he can provide some value in the outfield with his plus arm. Um, considering he was kind of a big time pitching prospect coming out of high school and then had to have uh, elbow surgery, so just kind of a a reaffirming season there too. We had him kind of in the mid fifties, so.
3: Yeah,
1: those are just some guys. Um,
3: Great stuff, man. Thank you.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, Will, thank you so much for your time and your insight tonight. Can you tell our listeners where they can follow you on Twitter? As we know, you're on the ground uh, seeing a lot of these guys firsthand Mm -hmm. posting videos, and they're probably going to want to see that as well.
2: Um, Yeah. Um, Just follow me at at W. Hafer Baseball, so W-H-O-E-F-E-R Baseball. Um, that's where you're going to see the vast majority of my stuff. Um, And I'll also, you know, write about two, three posts a month on Prospects Live. That's prospectslive.com. And that's really where where you're going to see the majority of my baseball-related work. Going to be a lot of videos. Um, Yeah, just a lot of videos, really. (laughs) I think that's kind of what I've been known for is, is to be out there on the ground, grabbing videos of guys, you know, and really, you know, showcasing kind of the talent that, that's been around me in Georgia. Cause there's a lot of it. And, <laughs> and I'm really looking forward to, to going out there this summer and, you know, going to some of these events, these tournaments and, you know, maybe even a summer league or two and, and doing the same thing for the 2023s.
3: That's right. It's a great resource. We appreciate it. Big time. Yeah, Definitely. especially those high school kids because yeah,
0: yeah, living up here in the mountains of Virginia, I don't get a lot of high profile uh, elite high school talent. So uh, you're a great resource yeah. leading up to draft though.
2: Yeah, I mean, well, I, I kind of a good point. I mean, Chase the Water, you know, somebody that's, that's on our board in the first round. Um, just reason why you know he kind of like popped up out of nowhere is because you know play in West Virginia didn't go to a whole lot of travel events was just kind of a guy that, that needed to be seen. And, you know, it didn't happen at the high school level and it happened at the college level. People took notice. So, yep. you know,
1: Love it. Well, well, thank you so much for joining us tonight.
2: Yeah. I'm sorry for, for, about those uh those draft guys in, in in the 40 to 60 range i just figured you wanted me to no. rapid or try to oh, go up yeah. as many guys as yeah. i could
3: absolutely <laughs> exactly. we need that information <laughs> makes us sound yeah. smarter when we're like oh yeah, yeah. i know and, this guy and there. the easiest way to consume it is to go to
2: prospectslive.com and look at our mock drafts look at our draft rankings that's where you're really gonna find um the resources because joe just does a great job with that stuff joe doyle putting out those, those mock drafts he's talking to everybody under the sun he could talk to, to, to get that information out there. And if you can, he's, he writes very, you know, concise, informative blurbs. And you can kind of, if you definitely have an idea of what your team drafts, you can look at that and get a feel for, for guys that, that could be falling into your lap at certain picks. So that's, that would be my recommendation. <laughs>
3: I I hundred percent agree with that. Uh, prospects Live definitely one of my go to places for fantasy stuff and regular baseball stuff. It's great great resource.
2: Yeah yeah. Well, thank you guys for having me. I I really appreciate coming on, being able to talk up uh, talk baseball, particularly you know draft prospects.
3: Yeah, of course. We'll definitely have to do me. it again sometime. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. All right. See you, Will. That All was right.
1: Will Hay for uh, ProspectsLive.com. A lot of good content there surrounding the draft, which. As a reminder, it is in mid-July. It will take place this year to coincide with the All-Star break in Los Angeles at Dodgers Stadium. Nick, Bob, just to kind of quickly recap, there are still a lot of questions about where the Orioles are going to go at 1-1, it seems, but the field is narrowing a bit here.
3: It might be narrowing, but I still don't... I'm going back and forth all the time on which guy I want want the Orioles to take here. Obviously, Drew Jones sounds electric and maybe the highest ceiling of any of them, but... Elijah Green's starting to sound better Tamar Johnson, I'm still high on Jackson holiday. He's the, the new guy. And it's like, Oh, I haven't seen him before. Maybe that's the one. And Brooks Lee is even sounding decent. If we want to save some money and, and have just a, like banger of a first five picks in the draft. So yeah, I'm just as confused as ever, but still great information to have. <laughs> yeah. The the key thing for me there
0: was, I liked what he said about Elijah green um, yeah. since that was a guy who I feel like a uh, there's a lot of heat on early on, especially like go last year coming into the season. And then with the rise of Tamar, with the rise of Drew Jones and, you know, the Orioles fans fixation on it's going to be Brooks Lee and I'm going to hate this draft. feel um, <laughs> feeling Elijah Green just kind of been cast off to the side, but good info from Will there on Elijah and his strong end to the year. So, yeah, I agree with Bob. Um, even after, you know, talking with people about this draft uh, as an Orioles fan, you're still like, I still don't know. Um, which is kind of fun. It makes us more fun.
1: Yeah, it's uh, definitely an interesting class to follow. And Elijah Green, I feel like, has already gone through. He went through the Kumar uh, Rocker hype cycle, but he's actually managed to come back up on the other end a little bit. So he's definitely still in play for me at
0: 1-1. Yeah, speaking of Kumar Rocker, we, we can move on to what we were going to talk about before, but um, he's my pick uh, for the back end of the first. If he falls, um, give,
3: me, give me Kumar Rocker there. I'll take a flyer on him as well.
0: That's who the Orioles are saving money
3: for. I feel like (laughs) there's a lot of guys that it's like there's a chance maybe they could slide into that 33rd pick overall and be great to grab grab him like Dylan Lesko. You know, he just went under the knife. Our team's going to want to take him. I would grab him if he's there. Probably won't be. But Kumar Rocker, same kind of thing. And who knows? Maybe Judd Fabian will be there again. and, And this time we'll get our guy. Yeah, it's interesting. We didn't ask him. Uh, I wanted
0: to actually, but about the the pitchers, you know, so many of these top college pitchers are hurt, are coming back from injury um, or they're suspended. I think there's a kid from ECU is like suspended for the full year. Um, so it will be interesting to see how teams attack this draft with all those top pitching talents injured. Do they still go after them? Do those guys fall? Do the Orioles go after some of those guys? If they fall, take the risk there and rehab them themselves. Um, the next couple weeks are going to be a lot of fun for Orioles fans and draft night. I feel like is going to be even more fun.
3: Absolutely.
1: Move on now to talk about the players that are currently in the system. We have to start with Grayson Rodriguez, who had an absolutely dominant start Friday night in a win over the Gwinnett Strikers. Seven shutout innings, two hits, no walks, 10 strikeouts. Overall, he throws 88 pitches, 68 for strikes. And the stat game score, which uses a variety of factors to kind of compile the quality of a start for a pitcher, Came out at 83, which was by far Rodriguez's highest of the 2022 season. And, Brooks, this is coming to a point where a lot of people are asking, just like with the position we were in with Adley Rutsman a few weeks ago, when is Grayson Rodriguez going to get here? When will he be here? When will he be in the rotation? I know that there was some speculation that I didn't really buy into that we would see him this weekend at Fenway Park. He's not going to be the 27th man for a doubleheader. Um, that was never going to happen. But you still get the feeling that he's close. So – Nick, I'm going to start with you here. He's just the performance at this point, speaking for himself, for itself, what he's doing at Norfolk. Do you need to see much more for him at Triple
0: I don't ever want to see him pitch in a Norfolk Tides uniform again. And I say that as a Norfolk Tides fan. Um, he's got nothing left to prove. He is going to pitch at least one more time. He's got nothing left to prove in the minors, though. And I don't think anybody would disagree with that. Um you look at the swing and miss numbers and uh, how much he's filling up the strike zone while still producing the whiffs that he is. Uh, that's just like sheer dominance that he's exerting over this competition these last couple of starts. We know he had those couple of hiccups there for a few starts, and some of that was the defense behind him, but some of that was he was just not hitting his spots and he was just not having elite Grayson Rodriguez starts. But since then, his rebound from that has been absolutely phenomenal. Uh, and I really like that outing against uh, Gwinnett because we just had Justin Ramsey on last week and he made it a point to mention like, Hey, these lineups we're facing with a lot of these quad a guys, these veterans like Gwinnett has their lineup was nothing but guys of um, Alex Dickerson, Ryan goings, Preston Tucker, a bunch of like 30, 33 year old dudes who Rodriguez carved up. Um, so I think that was a, a great outing for him. And you know, I hate trying to predict this stuff after the whole Adley fiasco, but <laughs> I just think that you look at the schedule ahead, like, announce it Sunday night uh, or sometime Monday, June 5th, June 6th, and say Grace Rodriguez is starting Tuesday night at home against the Cubs, that would mean, if my math and calendar is correct, that his second start would be on the road but against the Royals, and then he'd be back home against the Rays. So that gives you two non-divisional games against bottom dwellers, which they're still professional lineups. They're not easy contests, but they are – Bottom of the dweller teams uh, that he can get his settle in against before he dives into AL East competition. So, yeah, and I, you could probably wait another two weeks and have him debut at home against the Nationals. But I don't think,
3: even that, I don't think Orioles fans are going to wait extra for that moment. No, I, I completely agree with everything Nick is saying. Like, he's obviously ready now. A friend of the show, Andy Costco, had tweeted out that the, the team wanted to see him get to 95 pitches in that outing and he tried his best they, they let him go seven innings for the first time since like in three years since 2019 when he was with Delmarva and it only took him 88 pitches to get through seven innings so he couldn't even get to that mark. I, I do think I think the just the schedule just doesn't line up right now to get him uh, in the first uh turn through here on this homestand but I do think he will probably make that start that Nick said against against the Cubs early next week so yeah it's exciting but I think we'll see Zach Luther get a spot start maybe tomorrow and then next time around Grayson will be here and it'll be kind of similar to Adley where you know he'll make a home debut and then quickly go off and be on the road come back so yeah, I don't know. I don't know what else he's got to do. He, he's got like a 1.59 FIP. It's insane. He's could potentially come straight through and be a guy that just has great success right away, but don't be surprised if he struggles a bit, just like he did. Uh, you know, For him, he struggled a little bit early in the season with AAA, but yeah. Orioles fans, we're, we're ready for this. The thing that I
1: liked the most about that outing was Gwinnett was a team that gave him a tough time a few weeks ago. Now, they were in a little bit different spot. You know, those lineups are not exact copies of each other from the last time he faced Gwinnett to now. And I think the first of his start, if I'm not mistaken, Ronald Acuna was there on rehab assignment. But still, tough lineup, a lot of veteran hitters, and they challenged him the first two times they faced him. Uh, they gave him a tough time. His command was not sharp. The defense behind him was bad. And then he just completely dominated on Friday night. It was not... Even close at all. They, they were not catching up to him. Pretty much whatever you want to see from Grayson Rodriguez in a start, you got it on Friday night. And then some of the fastball was working. The batting practice fastball, otherwise known as a changeup, was also working. Uh, so, you know, every pitch that he had in his arsenal was spot on that night.
0: I'm going to carve up a video of every changeup he throws uh, <laughs> that produces a swing and miss in the major leagues. And I'm just going to add Keith law repeatedly until he blocks us. Um, but yeah, like I was put up his game like here. And after that outing on May 1st against Gwinnett where three and a third six, six hits, five runs, two walks, five strikeouts. Right. Since then he's made one, two, three, five starts. His worst start was what is this? Six innings, two runs, four hits, nine strikeouts. Like that was his worst start against Charlotte. <laughs> I mean, this is just eight strikeouts, eleven strikeouts, nine, ten, no walks, one walk in his last thirteen plus innings. Like, Yeesh. I mean, there, there's really nothing else he can prove. And still, not saying that he's going to get to the major leagues and and be dominant because he's probably not. You know, I think it was actually speaking of prospects live. Um, I think it was Joe Doyle actually who tweeted out a, a while. It's probably been a week or so ago now that. Look at all the top guys who are in the major leagues, Rodriguez, Bobby Witt, all these guys, and their numbers through the first couple of weeks of the season, they were all bad. You look at Adley's numbers right now, they were bad. And I think Connor, Locked on Orioles, actually tweeted earlier today as well some of those numbers and how Bobby Witt and Julio Rodriguez have improved. It's coming for Adley Rutschman as well. Like That's coming for Grayson Rodriguez. Those early struggles have probably happened, but like you look at what he's
3: doing in AAA and stretch him out in major leagues at this point. And that's what the season's all about. It's to get these guys up, get their feet wet, get these early uh, adjustment periods out of the way now so that next year they can jump right into the mix and hopefully be a little more content. I don't know if we're going to be a playoff team next year, but we should at least be more competitive and trending in that direction. And I had something else I was going to say, but I lost it.
1: We'll move on to the other big pitching story of last week, which was Carter Baumler, his first professional start. And his first outing since undergoing Tommy John surgery in the fall of 2020, and it was about as good as you could have asked for. It. Three innings pitched, no runs, a hit, a walk, five strikeouts, 43 pitches, so a pretty efficient three innings uh, against the Charleston River Dogs. And I was watching clips of the start again earlier before we came on the show, and the thing that I saw in that outing was that fastball curveball mix was working really well, and the Charleston hitters often looked. Like they couldn't guess in a two-strike count. Is it going to be the 92 to 94 fastball or the 80-mile-an-hour curveball? And Ballmer had that whole arsenal going for him. You know, this has kind of been what has been advertised with Ballmer a little bit. Athletic guy, good fastball, curveball, developing changeup, you know, some projectability to add velocity. And it looks like in that limited sample, it was there, and I think that was about as good as you could have hoped for, for a guy that has barely pitched since 2019, because he lost most of his senior season in 2020 before being drafted by the Orioles and then missed all of last year after undergoing Tommy John surgery. So, Bob, this, what were your takeaways from Ballmer's, uh debut? Well,
3: first, my takeaway was Grayson Rodriguez has the first ever batting practice fastball that has a 70 grade. So uh, that's what I forgot to say. It was totally worth it, right? Uh, Carter Ballmer it was so exciting to uh, see him come out and just – with FCL season like a week or two away, just jumps right up to low, uh, low a Del full season ball and looks fantastic. His first time out, um, coming back from injury, his first strikeout is a three two curveball at the top of the zone that was just a beauty getting swings and misses. You know, it'll be nice to see him get stretched out, got three innings on this time out, but uh, I'm sure he'll be four next time, five next time, and probably stop there. But it's just great to get a, a young, talented arm like this back healthy on the mound and getting these innings up. And he's we've talked about it a lot. He's a high ceiling guy that, you know, we didn't see last year because of injury, but they're in the system. If they're international guys that aren't quite at the state side yet, or, or they're guys like Carter Barmler, there's plenty of high ceiling pitchers in this organization.
2: Yeah, that
0: debut was pretty huge. I think it, he, Zach mentioned, he hasn't pitched regularly in competitive games since 2019. And those were high school games. 2020 gets wiped out i think he made one appearance his senior year of high school uh before the pandemic hit uh he gets drafted that summer can't play because there's no minor league season then 2021 he's recovering from tommy john surgery and like carter obama's been in the system for a while but that start last week was his first professional outing uh and it was dominant i mean yes he's gotten games down in sarasota but i mean those are you know extended spring training games. This was a real live minor league baseball game on the road against good competition. Uh, and he flat out dominated. And we've said this before that starting right after the 2020 draft, like Heston Curtis has a fine pick, you know, high floor advanced college bat. His injuries have in faults have been not of his own. Uh, Westberg's emerging as a really good piece right now. Hudson Haskin is breaking out. Sir video is, we hope he's back on the field soon. Seems like he will be, but the gems of that class were Kobe Mayo and Carter Baumler. Uh, and the hype around Ballmer kind of disappeared because we haven't seen him in close to three years. There's a three-year gap almost between him pitching in games, but he's healthy now, and I thought, just like Creed Willems, I thought both these guys would have been in the FCL all season long. Maybe at the end of the year, you bring him up as a reward, but Creed's already the full-time backstop in in Delmarva and playing phenomenal defense behind the plate, and Baumler is now in the starting rotation in Delmarva, and it's clear that they're going to build them up in Delmarva this year, and then 2023, it's going to be full go for these guys. Um, with the potential to, you know, in the year and like double A, I think uh, if all goes right. So Orioles think their t- think their timelines are pretty aggressive, and I think that's awesome uh, because Carter Ballmer's a guy who could fly up the prospect boards. I think MLB Pipeline. I didn't look at the others, but I didn't even look at our list. Um, <laughs> I messed up there. Um, we got to hype up our own list more. But I think yeah. MLB Pipeline is like 29th. He could end this season much higher Um, because I think if you look at the pitchers in the system, Bob mentioned ceiling. I think it's DL Hall, Grayson Rodriguez, Carter Baumler in terms of who has the highest ceiling in the system. Like I'd rank them in that order as well. And that's, and Baumler's ceiling isn't that much lower than Rodriguez or Hall, in my opinion.
1: No, not at all, especially with how young he is because, yeah, I think that when you have a pitcher that young, especially in today's game where teams are getting better at, you know, teaching velocity, and it's more of a focus in off-season workouts. That he could absolutely add a few miles per hour to that fastball. And by the way, we're not far off on MLB pipeline. We had Baltimore 28th on our preseason list.
3: We're smarter than them. We had him one higher.
1: <laughs> Definitely expect him to move up. But a great outing uh, and a great way to make his major or his professional debut. Got a little ahead of myself there because I was transitioning <laughs> to our next segment, which is about. Cody Sedlock's Major League debut, which came Sunday at Fenway Park. He was kind of put into a thankless position, uh, having to come in with the Orioles already down big against a tough Red Sox lineup. And up until an eighth inning where he hit a wall, he more than held his own over three innings against the Red Sox. And I think really, aside from whatever the numbers were, this is just a great story to see a guy that was a former first rounder who has been through so much injuries, struggles he was one of those pitchers that was struggling to get out of Frederick when Frederick was still high A and comes into this regime you know again at some point Michael Elias and his regime could have decided to move on from Cody Sedlock he manages to stick in the system has been pretty effective the last 3 seasons including 2019 and made his major league debut on Sunday so Nick I'll just start with this what what sort of meaning does this have for you to see a guy like Sedlock who's been through so much get to the majors
0: personally I pounded the table pretty hard for Sedlock last year and every time I did I felt like people were like there's nothing there like he's not going to make it Uh, this isn't a guy you need to pound the table for and not ever saying like he's going to be a a legitimate viable major leaguer for the next 10 years but I thought he earned an opportunity uh, to get this shot Uh, and he's got it now struck out uh, I don't have the final line here I just have the whiffs he had 12 whiffs in that start uh, or that outing, which was more than anybody else. Bruce Zimmerman was next on the list. in that game was seven. Nick, Nick Pavetta had six. The changeup is where, where it was at. He got uh nine swing and misses on the changeup. So 50% of the time the guys swung at a, his Cody said like changeup, they whiffed on it. Um, so that pitch was clearly working. Um, and to see him just make that major league debut, and then hear the stories of you know how him and his wife were living in a hotel room, just the two of them for a full year while he rehabbed from you know these injuries, uh, and they stuck through it. Uh, and for him to keep fighting, this could have been the guy like not just the Orioles gave up on, but he could have just given up on himself and moved on at this point. Like, why would you continue to grind through the minor leagues with that pay, with that treatment, those living conditions? Um, and he stuck with it and he was rewarded with this opportunity. Um, and even John Mueller's piece today in his newsletter was pretty awesome. Like, the last regime didn't even care about Cody Sedlock, they didn't even know he was hurt. Like, that's a whole nother story about how ridiculous uh, that previous regime was in certain areas of you know minor leagues and player development. But I love stories like Cody Sedlock. If the Orioles aren't rebuilding, like Cody Sedlock doesn't make the major leagues with the Orioles. Uh, and so guys like that get an opportunity, it, it's really special to watch.
3: Yeah, if you want to see a difference between this regime and the and the last one, just read that story by John Mioli. My goodness. Um, yeah, super cool to see him get out there on the mound and perform pretty well. I think, you know, they probably asked more than they would have if they weren't in the situation they were. So I thought he I thought he did pretty well given the circumstances. Now he's on the forty man roster, so he can be a guy. Maybe he gets sent back down for the spot starter uh tomorrow night. But He's on the 40 man. He can, he'll be back and forth um, and he'll get his shot. And, you know, I would have thought the same for Felki Peralta before he got released from the organization. I would have loved to seen him make a, an appearance like this and Blaine Knight still holding out hope for him. I, I know we continually put them on the, on the same trajectory, but Sedlak got there first and he proved that he, he, he could do it. And even though he was a first round pick, not many, you know, first round picks, especially towards the end of the round are going to make their major league debut and be big time contributors. So even though people don't love uh, the DJ Stewarts of the world and maybe Sedlock was a disappointment, but he, he made it, he, he got to the majors and that's pretty big. And I just wanted to read a, uh, a tweet by Chris Resitar that he put out there this morning. He said, one of the best parts about watching a rebuilding team is watching guys like Denny Reyes and Cody Sedlock achieving a spot on a big league roster is a testament to their hard work and ability. Reyes spent years in the minors for the Red Sox, but continued to work and got his shot. Sedlock is one of my favorite stories in the Orioles' system. Injuries are a risk for any athlete, but he's had some exceptionally bad luck. Both of these guys forged their own path and can now say they are big leaguers. I think it's important to put things in perspective that just because fans want to see Hall and Rodriguez, it doesn't mean they shouldn't be excited to watch other guys achieve their dreams too. And I thought that was really well said.
1: Absolutely, 100%. Completely agree with that.
0: Yeah, I mean, Sedluck was, had a career-high strikeout rate for Norfolk going into this before that call-up. Yeah, I mean, this is a guy who's still all, all those years, all those struggles, uh, and continue to get better. And he was actually, as soon as Elias came in, I remember him kind of being like that early poster boy for the changes that this organization wanted to make with some of their pitchers. And he made those changes and adapted pretty quickly and was finding early success. Uh, so good on Sedlock. Um, hopefully he sticks around. My only critique, and it's not of Sedlock, it's of how apparently even Brandon Hyde and the, the major league club are going to handle Sedlock. this happened all the time in Norfolk. They kept sending him out just one inning too long. It's like he got through three innings and it would happen in Bowie. It happened in Norfolk. It's happened the last two, three years with Sedlock. like, like he does his job, take him out. Um, yeah. he, he's a two, three inning guy. You don't need to stretch him out anymore. You got three really good innings out of him. I was hoping he wasn't going to come back into that game against Boston. And he did. And unfortunately the final line doesn't look all that great, but, Luckily, I think overwhelming the the same popular sentiment after that game was
1: congrats to Cody Sidlock, You pitched really well. So I was happy to see that as well. Move on to some different news here concerning a player that was also in Norfolk's net roster. And that's Jemai Jones. We got a little bit of a surprise over the weekend when the Orioles announced that Jones had undergone Tommy John surgery in Cincinnati. The surgery was success, but he would be out for the remainder of the 2022 season. Shortly thereafter, the Orioles designated Jones for assignment. And I wanted to get into a quick um, kind of primer on technicalities concerning injuries because I was not fully aware of this until after it happened. Normally when a player is out for the year like that, they can be placed on the 60-day IL and not occupy a 40-man roster spot as long as they stay on the 60-day IL. Jones could not, though, because the injury occurred in the minor leagues. So in order to put him on a 60-day IL, the Orioles would have had to promote him to the major leagues, then add him to the 60-day IL. They instead chose to designate him for assignment. Uh, if he clears waivers, I would imagine that he will be back in camp with the Orioles next spring. Tough luck for him because this is a player who looks like he was going to be a factor for this major league team at some point. And for the first seven or ten games of the season, was about as hot as any hitter in Norfolk's lineup then quickly cooled off. And I have to wonder now, you know, in hindsight, was this injury starting to bother him? Did that affect his performance? I don't know. We'll ever know that, but Jones out for the rest of the year. And Bob, just wanted to get your reaction. This certainly a surprise, even though we had not seen Jones in Norfolk's lineup since early May.
3: Yeah, it was definitely a surprise when all of a sudden, Oh, he got Tommy John surgery. We knew he was out and he was hurt with something, but we didn't know what. So, that was a surprise on its own. And then when I found out he was DFA'd, I was definitely thrown back a bit at first just because I'm like, oh, why didn't they just put him on the 60-day IL? And now that everything's come out, it makes a ton of sense why they did that. I think he's a guy that probably, with the continued depth at the upper ends of the minor league system and more and more guys needing to be added on the 40-man, even this year, as well as this coming offseason, some going to be some difficult choices for Elias and company to make there. So why not? take him off of the roster now while he's fresh off of surgery and probably no team is going to claim him. Um, and then, you know, you don't have to worry about that later when maybe someone would be willing to uh, to make a play on him. And I think the team still wants him in the organization. I think it's just one of these risks that they made kind of like with Hunter Harvey over the off season, that one backfired, but it's Hunter Harvey and he's still hurt all the time. So it wasn't that big of a deal. And same with Zach Pop and and would have been with Vespi if there had been a Rule 5 pick. So, yeah, I think they're just going to try to get him through the waivers and rehab him up and see see what he can do in this organization. But it is such a shame for the guy because it felt like he was pretty close to getting another shot here. I don't know. I mean, Odor, Rugnet Odor has been playing better of late, but I still think fans will probably prefer to see uh, a guy like Jamai Jones go out there and try to prove that he can be a major leaguer. I mean, regardless of what happens uh, Orioles fans will
0: never Orioles Twitter, at least will never forget uh, Jemiah Jones, since it caused a literal civil war among uh, Orioles fans last year, but like it, it does suck for him. Like it's, it's terrible. It's never good timing for an injury, especially one like this, but I wish him all the best. If another team does decide to claim him uh, and try to finagle their roster and rehab him. But uh, if he sticks around at the same time, he's going to be a 26 year old. I think when he comes back, uh, who has yet to prove it at the major leagues and you mentioned all that talent coming up you know is there gonna be a, a spot for him like he's gonna have to work even harder to break through that now um, and honestly like I, I don't wanna sit here and kind of not trash the guy but speak bad about him when he's hurt now out for the year. But you know despite that hot stretch like Jamai Jones has still been the same Jemiah Jones year after year in the minor leagues. Like he's a 220 230 at best hitter with a league average to slightly below league average WRC plus every year, like no power, not a real threat on the base pass. We talked about the defense last year, and that was a big joke on you know social media and stuff. But the he'd make the highlight real play once or twice a week, but every other night he's botching routine plays. And so it would have been nice to see him fill that Chris Owens role, whatever role Chris Owens thinks he's pretending to you know fill right now in Baltimore. But Jones just couldn't do it. And he's, he's never been that consistent player. And now I think all the attention is now going to turn to Taron Vavra. Um, But unfortunately, like I will throw caution there that Taron Vavra also has a very long injury history as well. So, but hopefully he gets early and he's back on uh, the healthy training in Norfolk and in the big league soon. And Chris Owens is out the door, but yeah, it's Jermia Jones is a tough one, all the talent and athleticism in the world to become a, a stud major leaguer. But I think just one of those guys who unfortunately just wasn't able to put it all together.
3: At some point in June, the Norfolk infield is going to look like Jordan Westbrook, Gunnar Henderson, Taron Vavra, and who cares at first base? Tyler and Evan? I don't know. But, but that, that uh, important part of the infield is, is going to be pretty exciting there.
1: Don't forget Caden Grenier who is on one of those hot streaks right now. I mean, we've seen Grenier yeah. do this before, but it's still fun yeah. when it happens.
3: Another <laughs> contender for that Chris Owings throne. You never know. He is, and, you know, honestly, like
0: put him up there as well. But I feel like Chris Owens is, he's versatile um, as, you know, some writers like to point out uh, and he is that veteran. And I'd imagine, yeah, you, as much as it sucks for fans, like from an organizational perspective, I get why you want to go with the veteran there over the rookie, especially a rookie like Kane Grenier, but yeah, I would love to see Grenier get a shot as well. He's in that Cody Sedlock role as well, I think. like Let's just give him an opportunity because he's grinded his way. He hit like a buck 80, buck 90, and like Frederick and really struggled as well. Uh, but he's continued to get better as he's moved up the ladder, which has been surprising to see. So, if anything, a good shout out to Caden Grenier.
1: We'll go now to our final segment where we shout out players outside of our top 30 prospects list who have done something we want to highlight, whether it's a good week, a good game, something interesting in their stat line. That we think is going unnoticed. I'm going to start with Nick because he picked the player who was our most recent baby bird of the day and probably one of the most under the radar hitters in the whole system right now.
0: Shout out to Dan Duquette, the man, the international man um, in Baltimore. Um, I'm going with Isaac Bellamy. Like, there's a Dan Duquette signing, a leftover from that regime. He hit 375 last week and 1150 OPS. Sunday, he went five for five with, uh, he hit for the cycle, plus another single, plus a walk. Uh, so reached base in all six plate appearances and just an unbelievable game for Del Delmarva. Uh, I think going into the year, Bellany was overlooked just because he'd been in the system for a while uh, and was part of that group who, you know, I think a lot of evaluators thought that that group, the young international players, uh, who 2020 is supposed to be their first full year of pro ball. That's the group that was probably hit the hardest by the pandemic, but clearly Bellany is stepping up and now he's been one of the most consistent, probably the most consistent bat in Delmar's lineup all year. And now he's got an 866 OPS. The power's coming. Um, he's already up to double digit doubles. Like if the strikeout numbers improve, cause they're not great, but if they can improve, I think Isaac Bellany is a legitimate prospect to watch here. Uh, at least he continues to rise up, but he had a fantastic week. And my pitcher, I'm going with Jake Prezina. It's kind of a tough week. I'm not going to lie to find the, the gems for the pitchers. But uh, top guys performed as expected. You know, Aberdeen rotation, I could have went there again, but I'll spread the love a little bit and go to Aberdeen's bullpen. Uh, Jake Prezina, three and two-thirds, scoreless innings this past week, struck out four, allowed just one hit. And he had, first month of the year, he had an ERA of 8.53, 308 average against, a 1.74 whip. That was in April. Through the month of May, a 0.90 ERA, 125 average against, and a .60 whip in 10 innings. So great job by him. And he's just one of those guys in the system who I have a, a soft spot for. Like, I don't particularly see a path to the majors for Prisina, unfortunately. But no matter what level he's at, what team he's with, he's just one of those guys that I'm always going to cheer for. Good stuff.
3: Mm-hmm. I'll go with, well, first I'd like to shout out Maverick Hanley, who had a fantastic week. Love to see him continue to hit better. But uh, my my real pick for the hitter is T.T. Bowens, who is repeating high A after spending half of the season or the tail end of last season there. 24 years old, first base DH type, but he has more than doubled his walk rate from the 123 plate appearances he had with the Ironbirds last year from 8.1%, which is around average, to 17.6%, which is really fantastic. He's still striking out a little bit above 30%. And... He only has three home runs, even though he has ridiculous power. But his ISO is still 172, which is only a little bit below his 188 from there last year. And as we've said, Aberdeen's a tough place to hit it out of the ballpark. Got a WRC plus of 142. So I think he's going to be pushing for a promotion to double A Billy at some point relatively soon. And we saw what Andrew Doshbrock did once he got out of that Ironbird Stadium and into the friendly confines of Billy and started hitting for some more power. So I think we might see that from. From Bowens and my pitchers, yes, I said pitchers. I'm cheating again. Are Moises Chasse and Raul Rangel who I th- was scared when we heard about their injuries. Like, uh oh, they could be out for the year. Who knows what this is? Hopefully not Tommy John, something terrible like that. And first, shout out to Eric Garfield. He he was recording the extended spring training game, and what do you know? Raul Rangel pitching inning there, so he's on the way back. And then all of a sudden. Sunday, Moises Chasse, he's back, starting for the Shorebirds, pitches two innings, uh, didn't give up an earned run, struck out a batter. So, And whatever the results were, it was just nice to see them healthy and back on the mound. So the hype train's back on for those two, and uh, it was a good week for that.
1: I'm going to stick in Aberdeen for my hitter, and that is Jacob Teeter, who has had a really impressive month. He had a go-ahead home run on Friday night to give the Ironbirds the win over the Wilmington Blue Rocks. But I'm going to read off his number for the month of May. He's had 89 plate appearances across 22 games. He's hitting .290 with an 858 OPS, three homers, 17 RBIs. Aberdeen continues to win games, but you'll notice the month of May has not been the kindest to their lineup. Cesar Prieto was out for a little bit and then was promoted to Bowie shortly after getting off the I.L., Uh, Connor Norby was on the IL for a little while after getting getting hit in the face. John Rhodes has been banged up lately. So Teeter has really filled a hole there for the Ironbirds and has been a big reason why they have managed to stay successful. So, And with some of the numbers here in Wilmington, I'm going to give them to you real quick. The six games against the Blue Rocks hit 304, the 915 OPS. That's seven hits and 23 at-bats, seven RBIs in six games three walks against three strikeouts. So after a slow April, Teeter really heated things up in the month of May, which is a good time for me to mention that on next week. So we will give out our player of the month awards for the Orioles affiliates. So check that out. But then I'm going to go Delmarva pitcher and Hugo Beltran. Beltran pitched a scoreless inning the other night against the river dogs on May 25th. Did give up two runs on Sunday against the river dogs, but overall, this has been a guy that's quietly been a really effective reliever for the Swarbirds this year. 2-6 ERA in 13 games with 18 strikeouts in 17 in the third innings. And I love this you know, kind of story because this is a very under-the-radar player because the Orioles picked him up in a trade last July with the Dodgers for cast considerations. Um, he never actually played stateside for the Dodgers. He had been in the DCL DSL, excuse me, but – had never played stateside for them, debuts last year in D- DSL for the Orioles, and then makes it to Del Marva this year. So kind of an under-the-radar name. It's just 21 years old, but somebody worth keeping an eye on.
0: Yeah. You talk about movement on a fastball. Um, Hugo Beltran, I finally sat down and re- like really watched one of those outings. It might have been that first one against Charleston, but holy movement. There's no wonder he's striking out everybody uh, in the lower <laughs> levels of the minor league. But – also we we failed to mention probably one of the bigger names uh, that we continue to perpetuate this the fact that Daryl Hernandez continues to be extremely overlooked in this system. He gets promoted to Aberdeen last week and I tweeted this out this morning. He hit 318 400 on base percentage, a double, a triple, four RBIs, drew three walks, went 4 for 4 in stolen base attempts. Uh, he tied Jacob Teeter with the most hits in that series last week. That was his first series in high Aberdeen. He's still just 20 years old and um Yeah, this guy's got a a chip on his shoulder. I I don't know what it is, but he's got something to prove, and he is proving a lot of people wrong, I think, with this performance. It's early. It's early in high A, but fantastic start to his high A career.
1: Absolutely. We will be back next week with uh, more covers of the Orioles minor league system. We'll have our players of the month. We're also joined by Eric Garfield next week, correct, Bob?
3: I uh, never heard of him. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, <laughs> no, yeah, he will be joining us. I think the the DSL and FCL seasons get started next Monday, so we'll we'll get those rosters over the weekend. I'm sure, and we'll we'll break it all down, and it'll be exciting.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Looking forward to that. In the meantime, check out BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com for all the latest covers in the Orioles, Ravens, and more. Join the message board there, hopping and discussing with fellow readers of the site as well as contributors, and follow us on Twitter. At BSL on the Verge, we'll have clips throughout the week as well as some news covering the Orioles system and some teasers for next week. So thank you to Will Hafer for appearing on tonight's episode. For Bob Phil and Nick Stevens, this is Zach Swedon you've been listening to on the Verge.
2: High five casino. Social casino fun with real prizes and
0: big Vegas hits. Have you had your high five moment today?
1: Hey there, I'm Bob. Before High Five
2: Casino, my high fives were more like low threes. But after my high five moment, boom! High fives all
3: around.
0: That's the spirit. High Five Casino is turning every moment into a high five moment. Visit H5C.fun. That's H, the number five C, dot F-U-N, And start spinning and winning today. High five, high five Casino. High Five Casino is a social casino only. No purchase necessary. Wait where prohibited. Play
2: responsible Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The United States Border Patrol has exciting and rewarding career opportunities with the nation's largest law enforcement organization.
3: Earned great pay with outstanding federal benefits and up to $20,000 in recruitment incentives. Learn more online at cbp.gov/careers/usbp.